Welcome to the Ulster Business Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Maeve Monaghan of Now Group. It's a social enterprise supporting people with learning difficulties and autism into the workplace. We take a closer look at what's ahead for the organisation, the difficulties of the last two years, and taking a clear business approach to running a social enterprise. Maeve Monaghan, welcome to the Ulster Business Podcast. Thank you very much, John. It's great to be here. Uh, Maeve, I suppose first of all, just setting out the stall, um, you know, now, now groups of social enterprise, which is involved in a wide range of areas supporting people with learning difficulties uh, and autism. Just talk me through some of the work um, that you're doing uh, with Now Group at the moment. Yeah, so I suppose, like you say, um, we're working with about 1,400 people with learning difficulties and autism, right from people with reading and writing issues, right through to people with quite complex multiple disabilities and every single person in between. And we have a range of support services and community services help those um, guys engage with us and and develop skills and training and and move towards um, jobs because the whole focus of Now Group is to support people into jobs with the future. And under that Now Group umbrella, we have a range of social enterprises. And I suppose that that's the model for us. Half our income comes from funding and, and contracts with government and the other half comes from trade. Um, and we use all of that funding and income to drive the, the mission. But we also operate Loaf Catering, um, which has at the moment four cafes and a corporate catering business with just another one to come online in the new year, which is, is great for the team to be expanding at, at, at a time like this. We also have our pottery business, which sells in our cafes, but um, also sells very successfully online. Uh, our jam card initiative, which um, yeah, has kind of really taken over a little bit. It's going really, really well with about 95,000 jam card users now across the UK, Ireland, wider field. A lot of businesses signed up for that. And we've got a little consultancy company called Gage that helps businesses and um, organizations measure their social value and, and tell the story about their social impact. So um, plenty going on, John, on a day-to-day basis. And maybe just uh, you've been head of the, the organization for, for some time. What's your yeah. background? How did you get involved in it in the first place? How did they? 20 years, John, it sounds really hard to believe. So I helped, I was probably one of the, the first staff, you know, one of two or three staff. And I, I've came through university with um, an interest in psychology, then was interested in, I suppose, uh, parole psychology, then realized that wasn't for me. But in the background, I've always had an interest in making money and doing things that are quite entrepreneurial. Um, So my mum tells a story about me gathering up all everybody's all the mum's handbags and shoes on the, on the estate that we grew up on and selling them in a jumble sale and using the money to give to charity or hiring out of roller bits and using that money to do something good so I, I love getting people together looking at entrepreneurial ideas that just what you do with the money is slightly different I just never realized I could keep it for myself <laughs> so I've always looked at it um, to re- you know to make money for a purpose and this is probably the perfect job for me that mix of both I mean, obviously, you know, uh, it's a, a being a social enterprise. Obviously, you're doing you know positive work to to assist and help others. Does do you ever get it in your head when you're sort of thinking about you know something which is, as you say, more 
profit-driven entrepreneur or is that not really in your in the wheelhouse at the moment oh yeah absolutely so any of the businesses that we're operating are making a profit uh and i think we 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 fight a probably quite a stereotype about social enterprise you know the the fact that we use the money to drive the mission is 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 the model but all of our businesses have to be completely sustainable they have to make a margin they have to be able to generate profits otherwise we're never a sustainable organization and i suppose we're really starting you know when i started in nagra we were 100 percent reliant on funding now we have about 50 percent of our turnover from trade we will always require some level of funding because some of the workers are around delivering services for disabled people directly but any of the businesses we're operating on have a really tight business model they go through the board for approval and they're generating profits and it's just what we do with the profits that's different so when when people see uh, a social enterprise catering business, for instance, there's a little bit of them that thinks it's not awful good what they do. <laughs> but, uh, but what I would be saying is we're talking about as high an end product as anybody else in the market. We want to be, you know, we don't want to be in the venues that nobody else wants. We want to be in the commercially viable venues. And we want to have people with disabilities front and center of a commercially viable trading business. Um, so when, when we're looking at any option, we're always looking at making sure it's profitable initially and with a particular focus at the minute on scale, because the more business we can do, the more money we can make, the more people we can support. And I, I think that's a, a perfect business model in fairness. And, you know, I suppose we'll get the COVID chat out of the way early on, but presumably that had a stark impact on the organization and more importantly, the people which it works with and helps. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, sometimes it's kind of hard to even think back. It's painful to think back to how, yeah. how um, uh, shocking that was. So we had a number of things to think about then, just like most businesses. But you know, as somebody who who um, is responsible for catering businesses, the, the impact was so fast and so immediate. We were in shock for quite a while. So we were really on an upward trajectory with their businesses trading really, really well, corporate catering, particularly into, into private business, was really scaling. And then buying nothing, the order book just dropped off. So that idea of what we do with all of the people and, and cash, you know, just like any other business, they're just looking, where is our cash? Who owes us what? Trying to get that whole money thing sorted out. Um, and actually that worked really well for us. The team really came together. But also on top of that, we have that other piece of extremely vulnerable people either medically vulnerable or just really find it hard to understand. I didn't think it was difficult enough for us to understand what was happening. I don't think I did. But if you have a learning disability or you have autism, that immediate change was very, very stark. So thank goodness we have such an amazing team. We all just got hunkered down, talked a lot, planned a lot, and it all worked out really, really well. The, the catering business, Diane and the team, were really adamant they would continue on trading. Most of the other cafes had to close, but Loaf on the Grosvenor Road continued on, you know, catering for frontline staff, doing um, food for um, people who were, we were concerned about whether kids were going to get fed or not when they weren't in school. So that model operates really, it's just nice to have something like that. You can flip to social good as well. But look, it was it was scary days and I'm just really, really hoping we don't get back to that again. And, and for those, you know, those people that you're working with or working in the cafes with, yeah. you know, learning difficulties, how, is there any particular, I mean, what sort of impact did that have on them in particular? Obviously just, you know, say they were 
expecting to be in working yeah. and then all of a sudden you know you're obviously because of the, the lockdown you're that's no longer there as, as, a, as a kind of outlet for them yeah i would say you know that you know, the, the positive part of it is the team in now group and the inner social enterprises did a really really good job of engaging those individuals so a lot of the services went online we were already quite advanced in relation to the online service that we would have had but we stepped it up again so all of those individuals were still engaged with particularly we we support a lot of families where the mum has learned difficulty or autism either pregnant or who's just had a baby we're, you know that's a very very difficult situation for them to be in. So we looked at a lot of food parcels and cookery courses, just make sure people were being fed and well looked after and engaged with. So the, the online engagement, the engagement individu to individuals actually ramped up. They're probably more engaged with during COVID than they were previously. And it meant that we were able to reach a whole lot of people we maybe wouldn't have seen face to face before, but a number of people dropped off the radar. That idea of doing things online, particularly for people with neurodiverse conditions or just with more significant disabilities, they either found it difficult to go online or really, really didn't want to. Um, so we've been doing quite a bit of work picking them up and just just a shout out as well to all the family members and parents and carers who went from having their own lives to having to look at supporting those individuals back at home again. So they've been with us and then they were at home again. And just that whole piece about trying to keep those families um, looked after during that time was, was a big piece of work. But I think that's probably why it works so well with us because the, the team are fantastic at, at, at doing that. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of them. Um, they did an amazing job. You know, speaking more generally, just as, as someone involved in business, I suppose, and 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 that that world, what what do you sort of see as the biggest challenges for for businesses and social enterprise and and society as a whole in the next year as we sort of, I suppose, hopefully emerge? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest challenge is just what you've said. Hopefully, emerge. You know, if we knew we were emerging and there were there was a a, a clear light at the end of the tunnel, I think that would help us plan. The biggest challenge is not being able to completely plan, you know, even in relation to the situation we're sitting in at the minute as a hospitality industry about what's going to happen over the next number of weeks. And if it doesn't happen now, what's going to happen in January? That, that, that inability to create a longer line plan of how you trade out of this is a really, really big challenge uh, for us. You know, and I think as well, just that whole idea of what the working environment will look like. You know, we, we've been very lucky, you know, that we're quite a, you know, a, a digitally savvy organisation. So we've been able to have staff work on online and get engaged. But there's been a lot of movement in staff right across all sectors. So you want to get everybody together. You want to get them all aligned around your strategy. You want to say, well, here's where we are now. This is where we're going to be in a year. And when you don't know, it's very, very difficult to do that. So I think we have a number of challenges. Catering hospitality will be one. Your, the, the workforce, the, the, the labor force is another. But with that comes opportunities. And I think that's what we're trying to look at. You know, how can we work with businesses and our peers better to, to get out of this together. If there's one thing I think I've learned is it's not business on one side, rescue in the day, and then everybody who needs help on society on the other. Like I am just really passionately believe that we have to kind of get in and get this done together. Uh, we're all part of a social economy in my, in my opinion. And 
you know, I suppose generally, you know, we're seeing inflation on the rise. House prices yeah. are approaching, I think, eleven percent uh, by year end, and gas and, and power prices are, are are soaring due to the wholesale costs. Um, just generally, do you think is is there a concern or a fear that those who are already struggling financially would be really impacted by this? You know, buying their first house or just in general, you know, soaring costs. Is that is that something we're we're going to have to face in the next few months ahead? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, that, that squeeze middle or whatever, um, you know, the term that people want to put on at the minute certainly will be a challenge. But, you know, we're probably seeing a bigger challenge in that the people that aren't anywhere near buying a house, you know, their, their challenges around heating their house, getting food in, you know, you know, even I always think I nearly have to have two brains here, you know, one minute we've got a a really good product that we're selling, you know, and we're, we're really looking commercially. And then I'm looking day to day at people who are just really trying hard to keep their head above water. And I just think that whole idea of, um, you know, the, the negative image of that is if people are just, you know, trying to get all the benefits and not really trying hard enough. It's just so wrong. <laughs> people, people are in real um, need at the minute and the money is not going round enough. It is not stretching far enough. So a lot of the work that we're doing is to try to help people understand how to budget their money better, manage slightly better. But if the money's not coming into the house, it's a real, real struggle. So I think everybody will find it tighter. And certainly from a business point of view, we're looking at costs and starting to see them going up and seeing how we can manage them. But at the end of the day, it'll be the customer that has to um, meet some of those um, increased costs. Um, so yeah, that that is coming as a challenge as well. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and then maybe this was generally speaking, sort of looking ahead, um, you know, maybe these were things that were on the cards before the pandemic that were maybe shelved, you know, uh, temporarily or even things that have emerged as a result of it. What sort of, what's next for, for now Grip in the next sort of, you know, yeah. year or two in terms of what you have uh, have lined up or what are you focusing um, your efforts on? Yeah, I, I, I kind of even feel uplifted turning to that conversation uh, compared to the, the ones about the, the problems we have at the minute. I would say the biggest focus for us is scale and looking at geographical spread. Um, you know, we're really keen. We, we have a, a strategy that we're in the first year of to look to expand to support 6,000 people with learning difficulty and autism across the island of Ireland. So, you know, the expansion into the south is an area of particular interest for us and making sure that we're delivering the best quality service possible across the whole of Northern Ireland as well. Uh, so that interests us. Um, looking at a couple more sites for Luff will be, um, um, like I said, we have one which can't be named at the minute, but it'll be announced in January in Belfast. Then we're, we're certainly looking at another two sites over the next um, probably 18 months. So scaling on that will be a piece and, and that's happening you know there's lots of work going on behind the scenes with Jamcord and, and looking at opportunities with that that are very exciting I would say for me the most exciting part I'm seeing is a different conversation with businesses um, where they're really really keen to partner with now group in what I would call strategic partnerships where we look at supply chain collaborations, we look at jobs. You know, I, I've been in now long enough to know historically it was really, really difficult to get somebody with a disability a job. You were doing it at one at a time. Now with the labor market as it is, we're talking to businesses about, you know, being able to, to support maybe five, 10 people at a time into different organizations and training them up in particular um, areas, you know, catering, hospitality, warehousing, retail, digital. 
So there's a great opportunity there. Um, I think the thing for me is just making sure they're good quality jobs and, and our participants are well looked after and, and thrive in the workplace because it, it, it makes sense. Businesses are really keen on ESG, uh, you know, um, diversity and inclusion. And I think we're providing a really, really good um, opportunity to collaborate on that. So, yeah, lots, lots of really positive conversations with very forward-thinking businesses about how we do business different coming out of this. And, and what stage is that sort of the kind of all-island sort of approach to, to the the organization is that sort of an early stage or is that in the process at the moment yeah well it, it, it's in the process as in all of the the kind of homework and background foundation work has been done so we are registered as a charity and a, and a company in the south and that in itself took quite a long time uh we have a, a, a roi board set up and we've got four um, new board members on that and that's linked to the ni board so that governance piece has been well worked out. Jamcard has already been in the South for quite a while. You know, it's right through the transport network, right through most of the banks, most of the pharmacies. You know, it's really, uh, Lidl has, take, has run it right through all of their 770 stores. So that brand would be well recognized in the South already. The next piece of it, I suppose, is starting to look at delivering some of the community-based support for disabled people, engaging more participants and looking at um, the low site. So we've been working with Intertrade Ireland and Invest NI on feasibility studies um, with an eye to Dublin, but also looking outside the, the city as well and seeing what other potential tender opportunities are there for us to have a signature, you know, linked in with the signature building so we could start to look at the, the catering model down there. So. It, it's probably about nine months behind where I had wanted it to be, and I can blame COVID for that one. But it's really starting to get get traction now, which is very very exciting. Okay, Maeve, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, John. Thank you. Lovely, lovely to chat to you. You can listen to all the episodes of the Ulster Business Podcast at ulsterbusiness.com, Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud.